Welcome, David Alder, to The Current. David, I'm so happy that you said yes to coming on here and sharing a bit more of the behind the scenes of the writing course that you facilitated over the past several weeks that I took. Um, I've had a lot of curiosity about your story and your pathway into being a storyteller, a captivating storyteller at that. And what I received from your writing course was so potent, was so of such value to me that I wanted to share as many nuggets of wisdom as you feel called to with the current audience today. And before we hear from you, I just want to share, of course, a small story as to how you came into my orbit. <laughs> so the timing of this conversation feels kismet. I just came back from a guided psychedelic retreat that I assist. And the two co-facilitators, one of which is Nick, Nick Baker, he's so magical and he's so creative, but he felt very creatively constipated is maybe the words that I would use for a few years. And he started working with you as a mentor to help him bring more creativity and storytelling into his world. And he said such amazing things about his work with you one on one. And then you launched a course and he turned to me and Claire and he's like, hey, do you want to take this course? Claire had a lot going on in her personal life, but I had just graduated. I'd just gotten married. I had a lot of free time and it landed at exactly the right time. So I said, yes, never met you before. But what was so potent about your invitation is that it actually wasn't on a website at all. It was written on this beautiful card with physical artwork that you had created with these little dots that <laughs> the name of the course is Parables of Change. And in the first few weeks of the course, you just kept asking us, what's the story that wants to come through you now? And the story that bubbled to the surface is one several years in the making that I finally published in the last podcast episode that I put here. And one quick plug before I turn it over to you is that my partner rarely listens to my podcast. This podcast isn't necessarily for him. It's okay. But he did listen to this episode. And as soon as he was done listening, he called me and he said, Nadia, whatever this writing course was, was incredibly worthwhile because that's the best podcast episode you've ever produced. So thank you, David, for being here. Oh, what a unbelievably warm introduction. And I find it really touching. And uh, yeah, I feel this giddy sensation inside. I'm like, we get to like connect and talk about stories and personal transformation. The sort of, I don't know, pseudo joking uh, subtitle of Parables of Change has become Rite of Passage. And there's really something potent that's been unfolding in the shared space between the people who've stepped forward and said yes in this moment. And so just it's a great privilege to connect around the power of story, to touch hearts, to captivate, to call for attention in a profane, in a world of profane calls for attention with one that is upright and inspirited. So I listened to your podcast episode and felt like a, it's not definitely not the right word to say parent, but like, like really joyful cousin. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like your voice, I, I told you this after your, your voice was so strong and um, there was such a clear resonance with what you were saying. And so it's both that like process of discerning what's the message that wants to come through now. And then the spiritual alchemy and tending of making that into something that meets this moment. And to the extent you can with the constraint of time, doing justice to the 
message and how important it is and to the family tree it connects you to and the awakening that you've experienced, which has allowed you to not only do this podcast, but to bravely share about uh, the more than human experience you had in a way that spoke with such clarity and resonance and calm that people who may be skeptical as you were in the meeting before the poem uh, could receive it and say, I don't know what to make of it, except I know there's a truth resonance at play here and that can touch them. So just uh, just uh, celebrating that that what you created was was beautiful and it's a great, great privilege to get to work with people like you to find that current of like within you is such are such powerful stories. This moment is desperate for those stories. And then it's like great, the greatest job in the world to be like, okay, I've got like extreme talent before me who like isn't here to like sell a Hollywood movie, but wants to like touch hearts with truth and discern and step into our own power to speak. And so for me, it's the greatest privilege to get to work with you and the other people who've come through and to see the group meld. And anyway, I could talk for absolutely hours about it. We don't have hours, but it's great that we get to talk about it because it's like, what a, what a lovely uh, topic. So again, I, I am grateful for the opportunity to be here and speak with you about it. And when I heard that episode, I was just like, wow, like how alive it feels to be part of a movement of people stepping into their power to raise their voice like this. And like, what a gem, what a gem has been added to the list. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. As you're speaking, I just saw this. There's like a bridge that needs to happen where you're in the space of ineffable experience. Like there's something so important and viscerally felt about what is happening in my life right now, whether through synchronicity or chance or encounter with something that feels beyond humanity, beyond just this human realm. And then to find the words the very human words to describe that is really hard and takes time. And I just see you on this bridge, like welcoming people onto the bridge, allowing people. And, and that's maybe where I want to start today, David, is for people who say, I have stories within me. We all do. We all are storytellers. How does one begin to work with the stories that are within? And maybe you want to share an example in your own life of how you started sharing stories. Mm, yeah, what a beautiful question. Um, well, I certainly will share about myself, but in advance, I'll say, I think it feels really important to say that anyone who feels that agitation to speak, they are not, yes, everyone has stories, not everyone feels called to share them. And I, I believe that the universe is looking for channels for messages. And we don't really know what that message is. And we certainly don't know who it's going to go impact. But the moment we start feeling that sort of boiling bubbling sensation inside, which almost always comes with some kind of friction, like because we're not speaking it, channeling it, we're not, for some reason, we're not in our power to share the thing that so clearly wants to come through us. And so that's like a spiritual agitation. It's a very challenging place to be. I've spent much of my life in there, which is so much of the root of this course is saying like, I'm looking forward and constantly working toward that place where I know I am living my highest self. And I know because these agitations to speak keep coming and keep coming, that my job is to be in my highest resonance, to share them from the most open channel and pure place. And so just to say to anyone in the audience, not everyone who hears this is going to say, yes, that's me. But for those who are, those messages are coming for a reason. There's people out there who are looking for them, whether it's hope or affirmation, or possibility, there's something that they are seeking that may be inside of you. 
And so that matters, right? And in this world of, like I said before, profane calls on our attention in a world where we're captivated by death and destruction and devastation, there isn't a quote unquote market for stories of beauty and resonance and transcendence and how we've overcome obstacles and found bottoms and climbed out from them. And these are the tales that reclaim stories to serve our tribe. And so just to say to those who feel that inside them, whether it's me or anyone, these stories matter. And may it be that you find that voice to share them. And if it is useful for people like me to help, in the, it's all the more important to have such a thing because sometimes for all of us, this world of individualism expects us to charge ahead alone, to careen forward, to like suffer in service of a higher thing. But really, we are a, we are a tribe together. And in any tribe, when people are called to be visionary, the tribe stands behind them and uplifts them in that. And because that's not how our world works, it's a low, it can be a lonely road into a wild wilderness where you feel like you're doing the right things day after day and seeing nothing in return. So just to say that it matters that you feel called to speak, what you have to say matters, and that may it be that our whole tribe starts to uplift those who have messages that meet this urgent moment. Beautiful. I recognize I failed to tell you my story, but it feels like that's the first thing is I keep meeting people, right? The people who take parables of change, almost all of them say something like, I've been meaning to write or for a long time I've thought about. There's like a gap between like this, like I say, I just think of boiling water. It's like there's this thing, this is gaseous, geysery, like upwelling of something. And then there's this pain of it not happening. And so that I just honor that like, it's maybe some kind of teeth gritting agitation for it to not be happening, but how beautiful that there's a calling for it to happen. Because what a thing to be a, an inspirited, animate being and moving through a world, feeling something that comes from greater than us that wants to come through us. Like what an honor to be one of the adjutants. <laughs> and uh, so may it be that all of those stories get told and it's not because they have to go viral or because 10 million people need to see them. Sometimes it's two or one or 10. It's like you don't know who will be touched, but they may be looking desperate for that touch. And your story may enliven them and open them and awaken them and capacitize them to tell their own from their own power. And maybe that's part of how we change the world. It's a very human scale. Um, but I certainly can say that for myself and those in our course, when you find that place where you're doing it, it feels so great because you've transcended the thing that stopped you. And that's a shadow process. It's a rite of passage, right? We have to go to that place where we're going to be seen in some vulnerable shit in our humanity. And some it's mucky sometimes. And it doesn't make sense sometimes. And we're going to be looked at by other people. And that can provoke a lot. But then we step toward that thing together in fellowship. And we're just like charged with the current of being living people on our path. Like, so by golly, may we all be living people on our path. <laughs> yes. So well said. Yeah. It's a shadow process too. And I was surprised at how much shadow came up during the course as this transformational process. I knew that the story wanted to come out and I knew that it, I felt the agitation as well and how much I had to work through in order to, to bust through. It feels like a rocket ship that has to get through the gravitational force of earth in order to then sort of make it past. Well, you had a, I don't know, we haven't talked about this, but one of my meta observations from the course was at, we had uh, six sessions and then obviously the office hours and the other stuff, but 
I think at least four of them, someone from the outside world knocked like on your window or door. Like it was like, oh, it's like the plumber. It's like, but there was like, it was so interesting to me. I was like, wow, like there's, you know, we talk about like when you ask what's the message that wants to come through, who does the universe put before you? And I don't know what the theme of those quote unquote intrusions were. It just seemed like you're like in this area of like calibrating and focusing and it's like, knock, knock, knock. Like I'm here to like, I don't know, like help you with your taxes or things that just were totally- <laughs> It's so true. Yes. It was a microcosm of my life and the home and everything. And it's, I think what you said, David, I resonate with so deeply. And I hope people listening to do as well, that the, the trust you need to have this inner process of this is not necessarily going to reach virality. This is not necessarily the news headline that everybody will grab onto. It's this experience of transcendence that needs to be deeply fulfilling within. And I think that the knocks externally very much play to that of how about you can just be distracted by this, but that's not what ultimately brings the deepest well of fulfillment. Totally. Yeah. It's amazing. how Like, I guess it's just such a, it's such a spiritual thing to open a container like that where you, because in the course design, as, as you well know, like you start, you start by people who resonate say, I'm interested. So that's the first thing. And then they lean in and they examine the materials and then they make a choice and they're like, I'm going to do it. And then they pay money. And then very, very quickly, they make a written commitment of the date they're going to publish their story and who they're going to dedicate it to and where they're going to share it. And I always say it has to just be shared with enough people that it matters, people who you respect and admire. So that now this is why I love the course so much, because like from the outset, there's an energetic current that is different than normal life. You have accountability. You've made a choice to create an energetic moment in your life. There's a creative structure that's provided. And then because it's done with other people who are also on the same journey, approaching the same moment for them in their life of being seen and sharing and raising their voice, you get fellowship. And that's been the most fun part. The ineffable part is like watching the group really rooting for each other and like come together and like put, you know, and we honor each other by pushing on each other's stories. So it's, it's like, yes, I'm moved by it, but, but this moment was slow or yes, I'm moved by it, but what about that? Can you unturn that rock and see what's there? And it's just so, so beautiful because yeah, I just feel like a steward of a process of people stepping into their power together. And there's just those certain choices. There's something about knowing you're going to be seen that changes a dynamic. And by the way, per this notion of working with Nick in the, in the past, and I had been doing one-on-one work in the context of two different groups of people, writers and or, or people who had uh, written work to share and people who had public speaking to share. And so, and by the way, just pausing before I say anything, also shout out to Nick. Uh, let's just like really bask in this like connective tissue I met him through a random uh, channel, an email from an art project I worked on that went out and he reached out. And from the very outset, I loved connecting with him. I loved what you're doing at Same Summit. And then I saw his art and I was like, wow, you are like a, um, you, there, the, the spirit has been trying to, or in many ways, ripping out of you in the form of this beautiful creativity that's very different from the way he serves the world. And it's so fun to get to connect with someone like him and be like, I see your gifts in many ways. I want you to lean more into your art. You're doing things, your art like clearly has resonance. So make make your story, for example, imbued with your handmade creativity like that, and it will only stand out more. So shout out to Nick. Okay. To finish the point, to finish the point, the people who were public speaking 
were more engaged overwhelmingly than the people who were writing. And as a creative teacher, what you're looking for is like, there's only so much you can offer. You can offer structure, you can challenge them, you can push them. But at the end of the day, they need to have a current in their life, right? And some people like Nick have that current, but some people, it just wasn't there. So they'd be like, I'm totally committed. I'm ready. I'm going to do 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day or whatever it asks. And then the next week, oh, it was a busy week. I didn't really do anything. And But the public speaking people, I did 20 minutes. I did 30 minutes. Because, of course, they're going to be standing on stage. They're going to have 500 or 100 or 1,000 people look them in the face. Their whole being will be on display. And that's the energy current that was making them lean in. And so I said, how can I design that current into a creative writing process? Because the difference of creative writing, of course, is that those artifacts can go on to have lifelong resonance. People can read stories. The stories that have changed my life are 100 years old or more often, right? So there's something so sacred in the written form. And yet I wanted that current of like a moment in our life to be a part of it. And that we do with our opening statement. I'm going to publish on this date, dedicate to this person, share it with all these people, my whole listserv, my whole uh, family, everyone I admire at work, 50 people in my network. And suddenly you're like, metaphorically standing on stage like you. I mean, you, you're like, I'm going to read this. You said it. I'm going to read this on my podcast. It's like, all right, game on. Like, you're not going to like dilly dally on that. Like you've come, it was a moment in your life. Right. So then I'm just like playing the role of putting guardrails around it and pushing people and challenging them and just trying to be the best teacher I can be because the best teachers in my life never let me be less than my best. They always said, you doesn't matter what anyone else is doing you know inside you that you're capable of great things. So what are you waiting for? <laughs> Go do great things. And that, that's just a, like I said before, it's a dream. It's a dream job. See someone like you and be like, you're charging ahead on towards great things. I'm just going to be here and like nudge a little bit along the way. <laughs> but there's so there was so much more to it too. And I thought of it so much like a psychedelic journey as well of like the preparation, the actual journey itself, the integration. I'm curious if you can speak a bit to sort of like the pillars of a storytelling practice. If one is starting to to prepare their space, what are some of the, the tidbits that people can take away into their own lives? Fantastic. And we'll come, I'll, I'll do a short tale of the why later. So we'll come back to the like, how did you find yourself doing this question? Um <laughs> Right. So it is so rooted in, we share that um, common relationship to the psychedelic field, the transformational experiences of plant medicine. And both of us have a deep and and very uh, practiced understanding that quote unquote integration, this like meek and inadequate word is so much of the journey. Integration is really like a stupid, it's so blunt. We need to get better about the thing we're talking about because it's not like I'm making sense of my psychedelic journey. It's like, oh, my healing path is like vibrating into the past and future. And I'm like walking on it way beyond that experience and whatever that thing is. But we, we share this, this world that has taught us so many things. And so, so much of it was like on a study basis, what makes an energetic moment out of normal life? And so one of the revelations may be a little exaggerated, but one of the insights that I had was that there's two kinds of practices around what we how we cleanse. And so one of them is a diet and the other one is a dieta. And a diet, I always feel like a diet is a bit like a new year's resolution. It's like, um, I like vaguely intend to like do better for this like inordinate period of time. Indefinitely, I will be like whatever. 
And reliably with most diets, like people fizzle and they, they typically fizzle because they've banked willpower on a single choice, which is do or don't. And then there's no expiration date and there's no moment that's coming at a certain point in time. They just eat a goddamn brownie. You know what I mean? Because they're tired and life and da, da, da. And we've all been there. And then once you break it one time, it's gone. Like then the next time, the next time it just gets so much easier. The word, your word, our word matters less. A dieta is like in six weeks, grandmother ayahuasca is going to explode my consciousness. It's just like standing on stage on a spiritual plane. You're going to be witnessed and really, you're going to be witnessed by the highest of powers. And so when you make choices in dieta, what you're not going to eat or where you're not going to expose yourself to or how you're going to shield yourself from of the toxic energies and pulls. And that choice isn't going to be cheated on because it's a totally different energetic moment. You're not going to careen into an ayahuasca experience and be like, oh, four days ago, I shouldn't have had that brownie. Like, it's just terrible idea because <laughs> it says you're not ready in your life. to. We're not ready to hold ourselves accountable to a higher truth. So in within the course design, and I'm saying it in the course context, but of course it's personal as well. Anyone can choose, but it's easier when you have fellowship and witnesses for choices like this and written things and stuff like that. But within the course design is the choice to treat it like an energetic moment, like a rite of passage, like a psychedelic journey. And so you're stepping forward. I am called to share a message. I'm sharing it now. You commit to be witnessed. You pay money. You step into this time engagement. And now this current runs through life and you can take advantage of that by making choices like a dieta. So that's a component of the courses. You can choose to give something up. Your deeper knowing is aware is not serving you right now. You can give it up for the duration of the course, not for 2024 or whatever window of time. You just say, like, I'm my deeper knowing a long time ago in my life was whispering that my relationship with sports was not serving that I was like having my shower revelations about the football team I liked. And that that, in fact, was something that I was deeply, deeply aware, but unwilling to face was not serving my mission, my work and my way in this world. And this is funny timing because yesterday I did two and a half hours of body work during the Super Bowl. <laughs> right. I found myself not engaging in the thing that I couldn't possibly have not looked at in the past. And that's a transcendent step for me. But in the context of a dieta, we just listen to that deep knowing and we're like, six weeks, eight weeks, I can handle that. I can handle that. And so very quickly, we get so much spaciousness from choosing. I, I, I did a dieta as I ran myself through the cohort, uh, one of um, five different things, many, many things in, in, in life that in, in the context of People who I had exposed to, who I always left feeling drained, I said, I'm going to wait on those encounters, right? I, certain food stuff, certain substances, just to make choices and say, all right, eight weeks, like I'm doing this. And those, of course, we write down. They're written commitments. And ideally, we have it witnessed by a loved one. So now it's more than willpower, right? It's not just in my head I thought about maybe I shouldn't have dessert. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm stepping into my hell yes moment. And so I'm not, it's, I'm not having dessert and it's not even close to a question, right? So dieta is a component. Another component, in fact, do you want to talk about sweeping the circle? Because I know that that was one that resonated with you. I'd love to hear you describe it because I could listen to you talk for a very long time, David. Um, but the way that I understood it to be is that when you sit down to write, it is ceremony. 
and our whole lives can be ceremony. I actually think of my bed every single morning when I make my bed and I love my my sheets. I love my comforter. I love the the bed. It's the nicest bedding I've ever owned in my life. And so I think of making my bed as a devotional practice. And I think in my head, this is devotion. And so my bed is just such a sacred space for me. My dreams are so sacred. And to bring that into my writing practice was really cool. So I basically created a place in my home. The only place that I wrote was this little alcove of my office and it was beautiful and it was adorned with different crystals, beautiful pens that I purchased, though that's not necessary, but pens that made me feel um, alive and a little bit regal as I wrote. And I have a little uh, uh, salt lamp that I would turn on every single time. It's like, now's the writing. And one of the coolest things that I learned from you is how to bring this digital world that we live in and actually make it um, an analog world. And so you had us you invited us to purchase. It wasn't a requirement, but I'm for those listening, uh, holding up this little uh, sand time counter. I forget what it's called. A little dial. What are they called? An hourglass. Hourglass. <laughs> See, I didn't even know because it was so like uh, this relic from the from the past. But it timed me down for 15 minutes, and I have a 30 minute timer as well. And I would just set that on and be in this beautiful space and realize like this is ceremony. And I would bring my body into this practice, even when my mind was bargaining. I don't want to do this. I want a little bit more time. Um, I would just bring my body into this repetition, and all of a sudden, my mind would be there as well. Mm, so beautiful. Yeah, I love the image of the regal pen. Because, uh, you know, because like take you, for example, like basically what you're describing is the imperative of having cleansed spaces and sacred storied things. Right. And so if you're going on an odyssey of internal uh, manifestation and ascension, which is to say, like reaching toward a place where you are, you know, as we've all felt at different times in our life that we are locked in in our higher truth. Well, you better have a great freaking pen, right? Because like the, everything around you matters, right? Whether the floor is dirty or not, whether there's a, a thousand unread emails, whether you're aware your mom uh, is angry because dot, 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 whether you have been meaning to spend more time with dad or partner or everything, everything in every dimension of mind, body and spirit can either be open or closed. It can be cluttered or clean. And the more clean, the more open the channel and with the more ease. And in a world of like churning, wild, careening noise and distraction, a first step is making a single space, a single space like this space. I walk in there and I am aware this is a sacred moment in my life. And everything you're, you're mentioning, choices like saging or and is so psychedelic because a ceremony is inherently a different environment for our soul and consciousness and body than quote unquote normal daily life. So indeed, in the name of a higher thing, we make a space where we have cleansed the environment and the distractions and it just clicks in. It takes willpower out. It's not like, oh, I'm meaning to write. I have to figure it out. I'm like, oh, the salt lamp is on. The regal pen is in my hand. I'm going there and we're doing it. Right. And then now it's worth it's essential to say when we talk about hourglasses that I would be chagrined if I didn't mention my uh, mentor, friend, collaborator, uh, inspiration, muse, Mata Zepeda, um, who I am so grateful to work on a line a project called Linestone with. And Mata taught me about time folding. And so I and so many people would say things like, you know, I, I really haven't been creating like I like I want to. 
Um, and she would say, she said, why? And I was like, well, because life's really full and busy. And like, I've done my best work when I had eight hours in chunks, five days in a row to do it. And as a result, I can't create and I feel paralyzed. And then I'm like doing dumb things like eating a pint of Ben and Jerry's and staying up late. And I'm like, when you're out of like sync, there's a extreme uh, almost like spirit spirit despair. It's like you're aware of being so much less than you're capable or here to be. And that just like can be crushing. And so to not be in our higher resonance is actually to suffer. It's like a, it's like a root form of unnecessary suffering. So Mata in her genius way just goes, well, that seems really daunting. And then she said, she takes out her 15 minute timer and she goes, well, this is completely unrelated, but um, I'm kind of curious what you could make if we flip this over and you just started fiddling around and then without any preamble, other than that, she flips the timer. And next thing you know, a story's flying out of my pen on the paper. And then before I know it, the timer has gone. And yeah, the story's not a hundred percent finished, but I became immediately aware that I had created an illusion. And that was that I needed massive chunks of uninterrupted time. I just needed moments like a karate chop through a block of wood where extreme focus and a serene setting enabled me to be generative. And so I just want to make sure that um, in a world that uh, habitually strips women of their contribution to um, everything that I want to be crystal clear, like Mata changed my life with that revelation as she changes many, many lives with her way and her wisdom. And so then suddenly what, what was open to me was an infinity of 15 minute chunks because Believe it or not, as you know, there's always time. Like I have a three minute, a 15 minute and a 30 minute. And there is no day, no day in my life, even careening across the country from Colorado, 29 hours behind the wheel. And guess what? There's still three minutes in that time to flip it over and keep moving and cultivating my practice. So anyway, that, that, that's just a root of the notion of sweeping the circle. You, you create a special sacred portal. It's like plugging in. It's not the matrix you're plugging into. It's it's like the, the, you're like in the, you're, you become like a tree pulling water from the earth and blooming <laughs> for 15 minutes. And, uh, and that is amazing. And then we go back to the wild and turbulent world, but we go back different because we have been piling the clay. We've been scooping mud from the lake of now and piling the clay and we're further and further along and we're aware of it and we're closer to our truth and our resonance. And suddenly we're able to be more exceptional. And then we're reminded of that and other people see that. And then they're like, what's the secret? And next thing you know, like we're changing the world by being our greatest self. Why do you continue to return to that place personally? The place of creativity, the, the well, whatever you want to call it, this, the piling of the clay, the writing, the storytelling, like why is that so personally important for you? I think for any artist, and I think everyone has, everyone has the capacity to be an artist and the highest frame of art. I, I gain from another collaborator, Jonathan Harris, who talks about life art, making the canvas, the world, the world around us, our relationships, the people who we encounter, that we can make art in every moment. So for any artist, there is like a twofold thing that's happening. And the, there's one fold that is self, quote unquote, self-serving, which is like when, when you are a human being with creative agency, it can be incredibly, incredibly enlivening to find yourself making whatever it is that wants to come out of you. Just that process alone, like in a given day, like where you have a million choices to like eat fast food or like watch 10 hours of television or like 
read like every horrible update on the news that that there's also another option or many other options which involve reaching for your own greatness and expressing it. But of course, our own greatness is actually just a connection back to the greatest of things. It is in some ways an expression of the divine. We are actually channeling light, creating artifacts of light and hope and possibility. And I have the experience because I do art by hand, for example, <clears throat> of watching, of witnessing. Like I, I was um, getting some scans done of some of my art and I brought uh, it into the I'm in, I live in Brooklyn uh, where I grew up and I brought it into the Park Slope Copy Center on 7th Ave. And I was like, hey, can you scan this art? It's a um, pointillism is, is the style that I do. It's thousands of dots. It's like a rock garden. I cannot do it if I'm not grounded. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, I'll go literally insane. Um, and I walk in to get this art of these, a, a mom and a, it's actually the piece of our signal chat, the graphic. It's a Saturn with um, a mom and a daughter and the beautiful like uh, uh, atmospheric staging of like red cliffs, essentially a path into the distance. And I go to get it scanned. I take it out of the frame and there's like eight people, you know, there's like a Jewish mother and she's talking about this. And there's like this, uh, you know, guy who just got off his plumbing job and all these other like great Brooklyn characters and a very, very different ilks and backgrounds, et cetera. And I take the art and I put it on the thing and I go, I'd like to get this scanned. And the Jewish mom goes, did you make that? And then like the whole place goes silent and then everyone like comes over and they're all looking and they're like, oh my God, look at all the dots. Look at all the, look at this. And next thing you know, they're like, you should, are you selling it? Are you selling, you could, with this $300 a print. We, and they're like spitballing about how, like we've got a local artist. And I was like, wow, I've never like had an experience of an item being introduced into a space and it just creating a transformation of light. It was so unbelievably affirming as a person who hasn't been doing art for that long by hand, a credit again to Mata and Jonathan for pushing me into that domain. So on this, on the quote unquote self-serving basis is just when we live in our life, putting our light out like that, it affirms our existence. It makes our soul feel seen and it matters, right? So there's that dimension to it. Um, and then there's like this fundamental thing that this world is desperately longing for better role models. That in tribal context, you never would have the right to speak if you didn't earn it because it's an elder mediated society, which means that when you're brash and young, and you're aggressive and you can go out there and speak really powerfully. The elders would say often because it would be men, they would say, young man, you just don't know yet. Keep learning, keep studying, keep growing and get wise. You serve the tribe when you have more wisdom. And so we are in need of role models who are on their path who are standing tall in a world that bends our spines, who are working to heal, not flawless people, um, not prophets or saviors, just human beings who are in the face of a mucky world that doesn't support our flourishing, are trying every day to stand a little taller and shine a little more. And what we're getting, because the system selects for sociopathic tendencies, are some of our worst, least rounded people as the ones who hold the microphone and tell us how to live and share their stories and create aspiration among our young to be like them, right? Our, our greatest, the greatest people of our time are racing to build spaceships to get off the planet before it destroys itself or buying private islands and building high walls. And we want to be just like them. It's just outrageous. We need different role models. And the way we look up to people is that we come to hear and relate to their story. 
So when you take the brave step of sharing your podcast and your family experience in the more than human world, and you don't just create it in a process, but you actually read it with a resonance like that, the people who hear it, who are hungry in a world of profanity to sense something sacred and true and meaningful and deep and resonant, they get it in that. And it lifts them up toward the place where they can do it too. So there's like, on the one hand, it feels like the purpose of life to like create life art together. And on the other hand, this world is in desperate need of new stories and new role models. And that those when raised up mean we are both living our purpose and touching the world. And so that combination makes it sort of feel to me like my path and our path. Anyone who wants to come into that place within themselves of that form of service. And not everyone will feel called to lead, quote unquote, in that way, but many will. And the scale of that leadership can be as small as whether we're able to transcend our pain in a given moment and offer someone love despite how they're behaving. It can happen in such small ways. And yet when we are knowing we're living our purpose, it's so much easier to access compassion and care and love and slowness and stillness and all these things that are also part of human nature that we don't talk about. These bad human human nature is all bad things. It's all, okay, well, we can empathize. As far as I know, we're the only species on the planet that is in our nature to see ourselves in others. So we can see our, we can through our being our best self, see the best in others and not tell them to be different, but invite them that they have the chance to be brilliant, to shine, to spread their light. So for me, it's like, there is no idea, there is no project or innovation that will create a better world different than that. For me, it is so much more humble. Can we stand in our greatest truth and continue to heal and grow? And can we spread our light? And if we are all doing that, I promise a different world will be. <laughs> wow. So powerful. And I'm just brought back to this image of you bringing your pointillism. I didn't know that was the word for it, but your many dotted artwork that is a recent expression of your humanity and your divinity into the post office and having this line of Brooklyn characters like that is purpose. That is the the light, this moment of light. I love the way you describe so many things. I can actually mark little clips of like when I'm really resonating so deeply with what someone's saying to make little clips later. And I feel like I just marked like a hundred, <laughs> but seriously, <laughs> David, it's just so, it's so powerful what you just said. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's, it's such a pleasure to talk on this subject. And and by the way, we have a name, as you know, in the course for that exact practice because storytelling creates an energetic current. It's the difference between ideas and a story. Ideas, you have to try to interpret and make meaning of and create pictures of, and you're taking like the dense thing of words and symbols and trying to like make sense of them. A story creates an energetic current through the words where you want to know what happens next. And that actually isn't a thought-based thing. We feel it in our bodies. It's like the miracle of stories is that you have these experiences of having, like so I read recently an account of someone who watched a horror film in high school in the gymnasium on a rainy day. And they had about 300 young, you know, probably high school seniors in the auditorium. And the woman's going to go into the cabin and they're all screaming, don't go in. Don't go into the cabin. Don't open the door. Don't go. And, you're, and he's looking around and he's like, what's happening? That 300 people are heart pounding and palms sweating and grabbing each other and screaming. It's like stories are just a special, special thing. 
and very, very human. And that goes back to the danger of artificial intelligence taking data sets to create stories because stories can capture us as much as they can set us free. And so to create, to have a machine whose job it is to tell riveting stories, those stories are not going to be in service of our tribe. And I find that dangerous. Anyway, this is to say, when you talk about at different moments of a given share, feeling it in your body, what we do in the course when we treat our own work is a practice called red light, green light. And so we go through our own texts or each other's texts, and we just say at any moment, green dot, if I'm feeling it in my body and red dot, if I'm not. And we go in the process of writing, of storytelling at all, is simply collecting more green dots and changing the red dots into green. And that's beautiful because when we create, we often look for it to feel like one giant green light at the end. But no one, as far as I know, maybe a handful of like true savants create like that, but that is not how creation goes. Almost all of the time, creation is like, wow, there's 94 red dots but and four green dots in this piece. But guess what? There's four green dots in the piece. There's four times where someone reads it and it moves them in their body. So on the next draft, can there be nine or 10? And the next, and everyone can do that. Everyone can do that in a structured process of saying, do I feel this in the body or not? And if we feel it in the body, then the ideas have a chance to become animate and to touch hearts. And the problem is what's animate and touching hearts right now are just profane stories about either suffering or frivolousness or just living through other people's lives. We come home exhausted and burned out from this world and we turn on a television and watch stories about other people. And then we go to bed bleary eyed and exhausted and scan our phones. And it's like, well, actually, it feels so much better to tell our own stories and to see people we love telling their stories and that's how, you know, when, when, when the novel was invented, people thought it was going to do what people talk about the television doing. They were like, this is a disaster for the, for the world. And on, on the one hand, there's obvious ways it's not, right? As a person who writes, it's a passion to create art like that. But on the other hand, the tradition of gathering for oral storytelling literally starts to plummet when literacy spreads and the novel as a technology spreads and very quickly Pulp Fiction gets developed and low-grade stories that are a little sultry and a little this and that and they're capturing our attention and we're looking at them and and next thing you know, we're just not in that experience of fellowship because when a a real role model is telling a story, we know we want to, we look up to them. We know we feel moved by them and we want to be like them and that's how we can affirm what is good in us and grow it. And so that's just all the more reason to get back to a world where we're living beautiful stories together and we're sharing beautiful stories and we're making them like that any moment of our life can be our next great story. So, so profound, David. And I know we didn't get so much into your story, but I feel like you as the shepherd on the bridge is such a powerful role that you're playing right now that I'm actually quite happy that the course of our conversation was sharing so much of these tools to inspire, but I can feel people listening saying, okay, this is incredible, but what if I want to work with you? And I know you have two really heart-centered offerings on the table right now in terms of ways that people can connect with your work and receive a bit of this shepherding. So I'd love for you to share a bit about those. Yeah, thank you so much. And we'll, we'll do another episode. We'll have kombucha sometime and chit-chat more about both of our <laughs> And more. Um, yes, I have two. I'm very thrilled about the things that are coming up. So uh, we completed with Nadia's group the second cohort of Parables of Change, and I have two more 
cohorts coming up. They're actually launching on February 21st. That'll be uh, the Wednesday after Valentine's Day, or I suppose for this podcast, one week from today, and I still have spots. So the way people can contact me, they can go to hereandnowstudios.com slash parables of change or email David Alder at Here and Now Studios and talk about, uh, have a correspondence about whether the course is a fit. I'll have the cards, the written uh, artistic material uh, about those courses. Like I said, parables of change is a rite of passage. So anyone who feels ready for an energetic moment in their life, if these words are touching you, then this course is right for you now. And what has to happen is you discern if this is the right time or not, and you take a step forward if it is. The beautiful thing is that self-selects because it can't be the case that people are like one quarter in. This is not going to consume all of your time, but it will be an energetic moment. It will put a current through the next couple of weeks. And that the course, the course coming up is they're eight weeks long. Within them are the classes themselves. And also there's office hours every week. And then everyone who participates gets two rounds of edits from me as well. Editing is a great, great passion of mine. It's red light, green lighting people's uh, work. So um, that is one. I have the two parables of change courses launching and still have a few spots. I also have another offering, which I'm incredibly excited about, which is called Family Stories. Uh, and so basically the idea is that I've, I've come to to believe that one of the most potent ways that we can heal is we deepen our relationships with the people who we love. And then I've come to look at family stories as a bit like the cultural DNA, as our genetic DNA makes up who we are, so do our stories. And so I found myself in this position where in a moment of strain in my life recently, the, the thought actually bubbled back up to me that my grandfather, who was a minister in a small town in Vermont, took a bus to Washington, D.C. to go to the March on Washington, that he was absolutely unwilling to miss that to show his solidarity. And so in a moment of my own struggle, the story, my grandfather was in the March on Washington, came up to me and gave me strength. And in that insight is the capacity for all of us to gain so much from our family stories, not just our family stories about our interactions with our mother or our father or our family unit or aunts and uncles, but also going back, who were our people? Where did they come from? How did they strive? What did they transcend? Where did they struggle? All of those things inform who we are. And so the design of family stories is to actually get family in any permutation together, whether it's a couple or whether it's mom and dad or siblings or cousins or grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles. It doesn't matter because the course design can accommodate any of it to start to actually turn some of those family stories into tales that can be recorded and ultimately bound into a book. So at the time being, it's a virtual offering. It's only three hours. The first one will be on the 17th, which is only a few days from when this podcast will come out. Um, but I'm so excited to just be use some of the tools that we do in Parables of Change, like speaking the story we're going to write, deburdening the writing process, so to speak, and applying them to creating family stories, which I think are jewels. They're like as good as gold. And they can not only be read by that family unit itself, but shared among the family and passed down. And in that way, they are such profound treasures. So I really am so charged up about it because my choice to lead, to work with my father to train his 
physical health in a practice that we call dancing with dad. We listen to 19 teens jazz and we dance uh, once a week. And that has transformed our relationship. And I've learned my father, which I never would have known is a brilliant storyteller. Like my dad, who's 80, he grew up in Vermont when the issue of the day was rural electrification, bringing electricity to the farms. He has memories of chasing the man with the ice cart down the street and he would shave ice off for the little kids of the neighborhood before cutting blocks to keep people's meat cold. I mean, it's just like to think about what a person in that life has seen in transformation. There's so much wisdom. And so families often connect in the context of um, political discussions or ideological differences or generational gaps. But there's a bridge. There's a unity in story. And every older person has amazing stories. And most of them are about the things that really matter, like how we raise our children or how we try and be better people. And that is connective tissue that can help families heal. So that's why I'm so excited about the offering. It's going to keep on going. I'll have one um, two weeks later, so that the first Saturday in March. Um, and I'm going to keep offering family stories in in-person context and possibly in course context, like a more long form. But for starters, it's just three hours. It'll be fun. We'll do wiggles and silly stuff, but people will come out of it with these really powerful treasures of family stories in the process of becoming an artifact to share. Yeah, it's just so powerful. And I think that the lineage that we're born into, it's working through us, whether we're aware of it or not. So I just see so much service in uncovering and realizing the webs of story that continue through us like a relay race. So thank you for offering it, David. I will offer all of these links in the show notes, but I'm curious in our last couple minutes here, David, is there anything else that wants to be shared as kind of like a takeaway or something for people to contemplate around storytelling? Yeah, I think you. So, well, first of all, I'm just so grateful to be here. And it's a really um, hospitable context, both because I'm sure you're warm and delightful for every podcast interviewer, but it's just so great to have this shared history. Like, I'm just so happy to be offering these courses. It really is the best because I have uh, 13 alums from the first two already. And I'm just like so connected to them. And, and you know, one, one thing we do in the course, we never share our bio. So people are invited to tell us stories about who they are essentially and why they're here and who they're doing it for. And through that, and then the stories we're working on, we end up feeling unbelievably connected. We never learn their resume. We never learn the professional accomplishments or these sort of external things that usually create a quote unquote influence or significance in a person. And so we resonate with people based on how much their truth is coming forth and how much they're striving to improve and be decent and show up. And suddenly the connections become so deep. So I guess my only thought in closure is like for all of us, we live in a world where we've lost hold of our story. Stories used to be told under the stars at night around fires in service of what it meant to live well. They were the technology that let us pass on the collected knowledge of the species. But along the way, somewhere, the stories stopped being told by people who, quote unquote, had earned the right and started being told as tools to capture our attention, almost always to shape our values and to sell us things. It's not actually in service of our well-being or our flourishing. It's because the technology works. It's an incredibly potent tool. And back hundreds, back thousands of years ago, whether there was a lion down by the river or whether there was a person in the tribe who was behaving in a certain way, that was a life or death question. Stories always serve survival. 
from tales about why we're here and where we could go to just gossip. These fundamental things mattered in the tribal context. But when the tribe is 8 billion people, the same thing we're wired to look toward, which is the sense that the brain wouldn't pay attention to things that don't serve life, is keeping us trapped in a matrix of our own co-creation matrix of stories that consume us and make us feel, but don't actually serve life. And you can't blame any individual for it being like this. There is no bad actor. All we can do is say it's time we take our stories back, that they may once again serve life, that they may once again help us live well. And the only thing each of us can do within that is try to be our very best, stand our tallest, speak our clearest, and tell our stories from our hearts. And if we do, then the resonance that that can have is greater than the resonance of the machine. So may it be whether people engage with parables of change or with family stories or any of my material, may it be that everyone makes choices to step into their power to raise their voice in service of something greater and that we each keep doing what you're so wonderful about encouraging people to do, which is to stand tall and shine our light that we keep healing and growing and refining so that what we're offering can resonate more. Our channel is more clear and open, our spirits and eyes brighter, and what we have to give can reach people at an urgent time. And if we all do that, this whole thing can change very, very quickly. We are not so trapped as it seems. I just feel we have to step into our agency to spread our light and suddenly the rippling can grow. So beautiful. For those who are listening, I'm snapping my fingers. It's an incredible note to end on. David, thank you for inspiring. Thank you for clearing our minds, uplifting our spirits, for being a conduit of this and awakening it in others. I'm so grateful to know you. And I also have a sense that this is not our last conversation on The Current. So thank you, thank you, thank you for fitting this in within a shorter time context. I know we could talk for hours and hours more. So thank you. It's been so wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for doing the course. And thanks for who you are. I'm, your audience is so lucky to have a voice like you. I'm so happy you're doing it. It's a great privilege. Um, and so I, I, it really does mean a lot. And may it be that in all the ways you are stepping forward, you continue to because the world is lucky to have your life. Thank you. Thank you.